Hello again, everyone. So this is the last interview we're going to have. I hope you enjoyed the interview series. I'm probably going to try to do interviews with people once I'm back on Williams campus. So I think that'll be interesting to talk to people my age about politics beyond Miranda. But we'll see what happens. I hope you enjoyed. Bye-bye. So, I just first wanted to ask you, like, could you talk about your organization just a little bit? Like, we, we talked about it just now, but, like, so I can get on recording, just talk about things you do and, like, what is your goal and your organization and what are you striving to do? Yeah, when I, the city council movement is, uh, is an organization uh, that we put together in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, and looking at the city of Knoxville uh, in 2017, there were going to be five seats available to run for city council. And uh, th- because people were term limited, there were going to be five new people. So we started meeting in 2013 with the idea in mind, since there's going to be five new people, why don't we run five people as a team, you know, understanding that what we're trying to do, have a clear uh, game plan, uh, agreement amongst us. And then he gave us time to fuss and fight and disagree and still found out that we could love each other and not have 100% agreement. So we decided to have 85% agreement on social justice issues, budgetary issues, human rights issues, women issues, health, and, you know, all the rest of that. And so, uh, so that's, that's the crux of the city council movement as relates to our purpose. Uh, it was African-American driven for the most part because uh, Zimbabwe Matavo, who is a, a president of the Black Business Contracts Association, every three to five years writes a black paper. And that black paper talks about the ups and downs in the African-American community, what things we should work on. And he opens it up to the total community for people to come together to sit around and discuss what does this paper say and how can we approach it from the standpoint of solutions. So we met Mount Zion Church, uh, several of us were there, you know, 20, 30 people, and looked at it and dissected it and said it looks like this paper talks about we need uh, support and, and, and advancement in education, economic development, health care, and politics. So that became our four caucuses. The four areas that through the rescue and restoration, the paperwork that Zimbabwe put together the black paper, uh, state of the black community, uh, those were the four areas we looked at. And I uh, selected uh, politics as something I wanted to be involved mm-hmm. in because that's something I've been interested in a long time. And so we sit together and decided what we were going to do. Five people for city council put together a PAC, a political action committee, so we have money. And then also look at civics because civics are not taught in school any longer. And a lot of people don't have the knowledge of the rights and responsibility of citizenship. So we wanted to have a civics 101. So that's pretty much our, our, our impetus of our organization, and we are going forward because this year, well, next year, 2021, there will again be five seats available. We have two people on city council now. 
Uh, we elected Seema Perez, uh, mm -hmm. Seema Singh in 2017, and Amelia Parker in 2019. So we still need three to four seats to have that five, six seat majority on our council because our council mm -hmm. is nine people. Yeah. So how the first time you said, like, in 2013, you guys started thinking about, you know, maybe we should, like, run five people? Yes. So how did you do that first time that you ran five people? Are th are those the seats that you were talking about? Or? Yes. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they're the ones that came in 2017. So we started oh, okay. four years ahead of time. Well, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, four years ahead of time to do something that we knew in terms of organizing is not something that you just – you know, snap your fingers and it comes about. And then we're fortunate in, in thinking about it in enough time. So when we convened people, there were other people in the city of Knoxville who were interested. And I must admit that the election of that time, of the current president, made people more conscious of mm -hmm. the value of the vote and the responsibility of citizenship. So there were people who were on the periphery um, who weren't actually coming to the table to discuss things or weren't engaged in any kind of way other than going and voting, then they became more more involved. Mm -hmm. And we were fortunate in that first 2017, we had a tie. Amelia Parker had 488 votes. A guy that was running against her had 488. So we, since that time, have been able to say in the city of Knoxville and Knox County, that's our county, that no one can say their vote doesn't count. Because if one person had voted for either one of them, that person would have won. And so, so it's been very, uh, a very fortunate uh, experience, and uh, I'm, I'm enjoying myself. And it seems like our community, in terms of what we're doing in city council movement, are rallying around the idea. Because I think the idea of running as a team is unique as it relates to electoral politics, because usually it's charisma, it's money, it's, uh, uh, you know, various other things, popularity maybe, that make people run for office or make people vote for people. Mm -hmm. But we're actually saying we want a team of people already dedicated to doing a certain kind of thing, being sure the budget is uh, dispersed equitably, to be sure that, that economic development, to ensure that funds go for various other things. So that was, that was quite a, it's been quite an quite a enjoyable endeavor. Okay, so my project is really centered around um, colorblind racism and within the Democratic Party, because that was something I was interested in, of whether colorblind racism impacted the way people navigate through the Democratic Party. Um, so I wanted to ask you first, like, what do you think is colorblind racism? Like, what do, would you say um, is like a definition that you would think you would associate with that word. Yeah, I um, I thought that was an interesting uh, title, color, colorblind, you know, racism, and specifically, I guess, dealing with the Democrat Party. It's interesting that I, I, I can't I can sp I can speak as a citizen. I can't speak as a party member of any party. Yeah. Because I have been uh, voting independent all my life. I never have affiliated mm -hmm. with any party except maybe the Black Panther Party, something like that but no political party in terms of electoral politics. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to talk about colorblindness and racism in America because it's so pervasive. But what happens is that the pervasiveness of it makes it such a common thing 
that is not discussed. It's still, still lately. Now it's talking about institutionalized racism, white supremacy, you know, mm-hmm. fascism, and all the rest of that. But by us living in this society where the taking of the country from the very beginning, which is not talked about hardly at all. I mean, this country was occupied by people before the Europeans came and occupied it. And so it becomes such a natural phenomenon that we repeat holidays that have something to do with genocide and we just do it. Yeah. And and so, and then we don't, because um, you know, people talk about you should be thankful. Yeah, that's every day though. That's not just one day. You should be thankful all the time. You know, you should be going to be with your family all the time. And you can take time to be with your family and be thankful or whatever. But most of the things that go on in America as it relates to virtually everything is to indoctrinate people a certain kind of way to keep them numb to the reality of what's going on. And so it's it's not a blindness. It is a it is an institutionalized way. Yeah. Of, of keeping people brainwashed. That's what it is. So uh, I, I can't really speak to the, that term color blindness because I don't think there is such a thing. I don't think that people are, you know, when they talk about President Obama and that we were in the age of, uh, I guess, uh, no more racism. I can't even remember what they called the term. Uh, but post-racial society. Yeah, yeah, ridiculous. I think you actually explained color by racism, which is funny because um, it is the more focus of like, at least people wanting to ignore the institutional racism, or even, and an author I was reading, not even just ignore, but also not willing to see how even their actions can keep perpetuating it. Um, like he defines it as people racism without races, right? Like people, no one will claim they're racist, right? But yeah, there's racism, right? Like we can still see it in the systems and the impact it has on people, and so that's actually how he defines it. He focuses more on like the institutional systems that are about, and that people don't necessarily want to reconcile that like these systems have been um, like oppressing people. So I should say how the author finds it. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I wanted to, so, yeah, my focus is, um, it's interesting that you say you're independent, but my focus is more on the Democratic Party, because um, I wanted to see how essentially groups who are um, African-American focused um, interact with it. So do you think, have you ever encountered like color and racism when you're trying to advocate for your organization, when you're trying to deal with like the different parties, like with when you're trying to advocate with like, if you're interacting with the Democratic Party on right. an issue, like have you encountered it at all? And if so, how did you deal with that? Yeah, well, well, it's, I'm glad you, you know, continue to, to pursue that Democrat uh, answer in terms of that, because I actually, uh, when Jesse Jackson ran for president the first time in uh, 1984, uh, I was a state coordinator for the state of Tennessee for his uh, effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Washington in uh, December of 83. Uh, we met at the uh, 
Howard Inn, which is Howard University, has a, a hotel that they use for their hotel motel management classes. Mm -hmm. It used to be called Harambe. It was owned to be an African-American kind of a uh, Afrocentric kind of hotel. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how the arrangement changed from what it, what it was intentional to be, to be Howard, but both of those things were great. But anyway, that's where we met. We met in D.C. I was selected to be the interim state coordinator for the state of Tennessee, mm -hmm. and then came back to Tennessee and went to Nashville and was voted unanimously to serve in that purpose. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Democrat, but I served as a Democrat uh, in a position to work with Jesse Jackson. And so it, it's, 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 it's the, the, the African-American woman and African-American man of intellect, of vision, of uh, consistency, of, of self-defense, uh, in America, it's always, I mean, just African-Americans, period. Just a system set up, we talked about earlier. Yes. But when you show some time, some courage, when you show integrity, when you show commitment, uh, steadfastness, and a lot of those things, uh, the European-American community, for the most part, especially the power elite and the status quo, do not like that. So we were moving, and it was a good experience for me, because we were moving Jesse Jackson's campaign forward with actually no money, yeah. but with, with commitment. Community-based people went together from different parts of the United States and met in Washington to assist Jesse to run for president. And so he did well in the state of Tennessee. He did good in Chattanooga, good in Memphis and Nashville. He did good here in Knoxville, who came in third. Other places he came in first or second. But Knoxville is a very conservative part of the you know, state of Tennessee. Yeah. However, we were able to organize to make people see that this is a possibility. What I found out later on is I met people who were you know, Democrats and that kind of thing, uh, uh, who were state coordinators from Jesse, for Jesse, was that most of the people didn't believe that he could be president of the United States. And I say to myself, that's the reason. I mean, you know, God is in control of everything for sure. But if you got people who come into something not really believing it, just thinking we may come in second or we may do good, you know, mm -hmm. then they don't put in the energy and the commitment and the prayers and the fasting and all that it takes to succeed. So, but all during the time, Jesse was most profoundly equipped to be the president of the United States. He was knowledgeable, he was articulate, he was humorous, he had been doing things in the community, in terms of the world community. He had gone, I think, to Jordan and brought some pilots back who other people couldn't go for whatever reason. He went, so different things he did on a national and international scale. And so that was a ex good example for me in terms of a high-powered politics, because that's a presidential United States campaign, how it works. And it really works where European Americans want to keep power all the time, regardless of whatever, or place African Americans in positions, or Latinos, or women, or wherever, to still maintain power, but to have a uh, black face in high places, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah, the party itself, you know, has been that way. And I've had some experience with the Republican Party in different kind of ways as well. Uh, not as in-depth, uh, but I have had, because uh, most of my you know, encounters have been quote-unquote nonpartisan. They have yeah. just been life issues. You know, whether a person is a 
is a Republican or a Democrat or doesn't have a party, the life issues in America, but I know you specifically were talking party politics. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, that, that, that was my, one of the examples that I could give that pretty, pretty to me was a clear example of how the Democrat Party uh, exercised racism, white supremacy, and nationalism as it relates to a qualified African-American, which had been other before, uh, Sister Shirley Chisholm, yeah. who was uh, from New York. She was qualified to do the first thing. But my personal experience with this Jesse Jackson campaign, you know, was really a eye-opening in terms of somebody who was qualified to do the job, but, uh, you know, the shenanigans going on behind the scenes to keep him out of that office. Yeah. Do you think that their unwillingness to accept Jesse Jackson as a possible, like, candidate for their party was also due to a change in direction in the party? Like moving towards like not reaching out to black people anymore for their votes but instead reaching out to white people that mm -hmm. they seem that they've lost mm -hmm. do you think that was a part of it that of their not accepting of his of like we can't accept a black person because we still need white because people like they were still trying to go for that white vote or the suburban white vote which is like what they're doing now right well if you look at electoral politics, period, it's about what everything is in America. It's about power and money. Mm -hmm. So if you look at what happened with the with what's happening with the uh, uh, COVID challenge, the health challenge that we're having, the Senate and the Congress passed a three trillion dollar, I think it was two trillion dollar stimulus package. So if you if you okay that amount of money, you can steal a hundred million and it not even be noticed. Yeah, I mean, not you know, it won't even be thought about because if you're talking two to three trillion, then the next step down is billions. So when you get down to millions, it's chump change, you know. So that's what it's all about. So uh, the the ability to to really control and run things, even cities, uh, you know, that makes a difference. Look what happened uh, with uh, with. Uh, what happened uh, was in that Maynard Jackson down in Atlanta, how he was able to do things and been a powerful position. Uh, I'm trying to think of the brother that was in Detroit that was really, really powerful in doing some things and getting people hired and major, major, major things. So, no, it doesn't, that's all a smokescreen. And for the most part, race is a smokescreen. Class probably is more into it than anything else. Uh, I mean, race is important, so it's vital in this is affecting us on multiple scales all the time. But what we have proven thus far, and you know, it's not a panacea or anything like that with our city council movement, is that we as African Americans work to put this together initially. And then we ask for people of goodwill. We didn't ask for Republicans or Democrats or you know, libertarians or whatever. We asked for people of goodwill who could help us do what we already had decided we wanted to do. We didn't need anybody to come and tell us, but you know, guide us or to you know, reconfigure what we need to do in our community. We have a plan. 
mm-hmm. and we want to follow that plan, and we're inviting people to come and help us follow that plan. It's not that it can't be modified a bit. There are probably some things that need to be tightened up in different ways, but as far as what the plan is, uh, you know, we have it pretty tight. So that's what it, what it ends up being. You know, it ends up coming back to that. And I know you want to talk about parties specifically, but yeah. that all, all of that is to, to is a smokescreen. Mm-hmm. In reality, it's a smokescreen. It's to keep us busy thinking about something that when you get through pulling the covers back and covers back, it just has to do with power and money. And, uh, and so it, it's whoever can get enough power uh, or get enough money to get the power. So it's like, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you said about, well, maybe some of the plans can be like, you know, changed a little bit and like, so do you ever feel that when you've tried to, you know, advocate for your plans that people have come to you and have said, it seems like a great plan, but you need to focus more on like, I don't know, class or, and then not put the focus on black people. Cause I was talking to someone recently and she said, that she had been advised, she was, um, her organization was focused on criminal justice reform. Okay. And she was advised when talking about it to not focus on like black people and how it can discriminate against black people, but instead to focus on how it will save money. Right. So is that ever the approach people tell you to take or do you ever take that approach to make it more palatable to people? like? Or do you ever, like, do, do you see what I'm talking about? Do you ever change your message for a particular group so that they will be, like, more forthcoming towards right. it? Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that black people should speak about black issues, which is really the human issue. Yeah. Because what happens is that people follow the civil rights movement is now being repeated by the uh, other movements. They yeah. follow that pattern. But the civil rights movement is a slave rebellion. You see what I'm saying? So it's yeah. all, and it's, and it's the same. It's, it's, it's like Geronimo and, and Running Bear. and all. It's the same thing. People do not want to be oppressed. I don't care where they are. So you're going to have people fighting for their rights, and they're going to have people not watering it down, you know, because that's what's happening now. Instead of saying black people or African Americans, it's people of color. You know, instead of saying, because in reality, you know, the word minority is a way to water something down. It makes somebody the majority that actually is the minority. European people on the planet Earth are the minority. They're not the majority. They're not the majority in the United States for the most part. They're the minority. And then, so so those language things, those are language Mm -hmm. things that make you think a certain kind of way. If you think you're a minority, you act like a minority. If you think you're a majority, you act like a majority. So that's what that is. So, So no, in dealing with What's happening in America and what has always happened in America, we have to speak correctly and speak clearly about the language. The people who are getting killed in the streets right now on a regular basis are black people. Women, young men, older men, older women, and it's happening both with the powers that be in terms of the police and it's happening interracially. You know, we are destroying ourselves. We are killing ourselves. So it's a it's a combination of different things that are going on. So yeah, no, I don't think that we have to uh, 
you know, because uh, the people who we're talk, trying to invite or trying to make feel good, they know that they're the one doing it for the most mm -hmm. part. You know, so we don't have to make them feel good. We have to strengthen ourselves in an organized fashion to get done what we need to have done. And we can do it, you know, we can do it. Uh, we were doing it in different places throughout the United States and for sure throughout the world. Um, so a question I also had, I feel like with an organization, um, sometimes you realize like maybe you'll have to compromise and maybe um, like when the time comes if someone offers you something you have to decide like am I going to take this deal whatever that may be I don't know with um, um, like with education like maybe they give you some funding or like the funding you wanted but they didn't give you everything do you what is your line and what do you think about when possibly you need to compromise like do when it where is that line for you and what are you willing to compromise on or do you think when like interacting with parties or in the electoral process at all like yeah yeah there are times when you have to uh, what you're thinking about at that particular time or your plan may have to be modified mm -hmm. to get to where you're trying to get to uh, and the word compromise means I guess uh, giving a little and taking a little uh, mm -hmm. but yeah so there are times when you have to do that uh, but then also on principle, you know, and on, on various kinds of spiritual things and things that really uh, uh, motivate you, that really uh, drive you, that really are your bedrock, the things that actually, if you change, you are not that person that you were before you changed it. And the circumstances that happen to you after you change it are nowhere near the circumstances that you want it to happen. So you can't give up yourself, you can't give up your soul, you can't give up who you really are to get some things done. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's, it's human beings make these decisions. Mm -hmm. And I think moral human beings who follow a spiritual compass in, in various ways can make the decision just like somebody who's corrupt and wicked and all the rest of the kind of terms we can say. So, so it's just, it's just whether or not we stand pat on the humane uh, 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 aspirations of the human family and don't give in to our lower selves. All of us have it, either our higher selves or our lower selves. We have desires that sometimes have nothing to do with humanity or nothing to do with some life-giving, life-sustaining behavior. And so the compromise comes uh, when, it, when it may be something that can't necessarily, necessarily be done today, but it's going to be done. So it's the mm -hmm. time, it may be a timeline that you would say, okay, well, let's take a little more time to make this happen. But, uh, but in terms of principles and, 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 and major goals and aspirations, you don't compromise on those because you'll never make it. And then you become what you don't like. Yeah, you know, you'll be you look at yourself in the mirror and you won't recognize yourself, and you know you just you become a, a shell of a person because you probably really something that you really really felt you needed to do, but then you thought you could get there by doing what you already see is not working, you know. So yeah, but yeah, there's there's a time. I I, I the name the term compromise 
I think takes on sort of a condescending or sort of like a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. But if it means modifying your modifying your strategy to still ultimately get to where you want to get to, then yeah, yeah, so that works. So do you think it's a good thing if you if this compromise will actually lead to the end goal because i think sometimes white people are are in a dilemma when they're a part of an organization right to accept that compromise or not mm-hmm. is because i think right the affordable health care uh aca is like a perfect example of like people thought that was a compromise and would lead to something else right but now the aca is being used as a way to like stay there right like people are like well you're gonna get rid of it and you're like but we were always supposed to build on it right so i guess how do you deal with that situation right of like is this a good enough deal that i think will lead to something but it also could be used against me right later well i think the problem with that too has to do with what who actually implemented it in terms of President Obama, mm-hmm. that it had been something they've been trying to do for 50 years, if not more, that the Kennedy, uh, uh, Ed Kennedy, I think it was Ted Kennedy, was a pusher of it for a long time, and it never happened. But it actually happened under the Obama administration, and, you know, people are not satisfied with it coming from a black man, you know, that it didn't happen that way. So all the other ancillary things they talk about, whether it's, you know that you have to have a it's a penalty if you don't have insurance uh, you have to pay too much yeah you have to correct it because it's not perfect in the very beginning it's the first time it was ever tried it's like other social programs i'm sure the social security and 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 all the rest of them had to be looked at modified you know to, to a certain degree so uh, but yeah yeah there, there are things that had to be be modified but but what i'm trying to share is that most of the the rhetoric behind these discussions is racism. It's institutionalized racism that a lot of times is behind it. It comes out about money or, you know, poverty or whatever, but the overall arching period thing is that, you know, that African-American men and women are not seen as valuable intellectually uh, as a collective, you know, they're individual people who may be considered to be genius in the African-American community. Mm-hmm. But see, I'm blessed to be able to come through a school, a period of time when our whole class was bright. I mean, everybody, because that's how we were taught. We were taught, you know, to, to really excel. And so most of the people know in the class excel in different, whatever they chose, they do, they do good at it. And whoever they're around and whatever group they're in, they have something to contribute to what is going on. And so then it, it, it seems to me it, it's not quite that way, you know, in terms of African-American youngsters feeling, uh, you know, just, just no, I'm, I'm, I'm bad, you know. I mean, not arrogantly, but, you know, my mom bad, my dad bad, my cousin, my granddaddy, you know, and that we are supposed to, you know, to, to be, to excel. So in terms of what you just spoke about the, that they call it Obamacare, uh, uh, there, the, the because it makes no sense. I mean, you have societies and and civil well, you not civilization. You have countries that have you go to the doctor if you're sick, you get medicine, you get well, you go home. 
or you go to the hospital, you stay in the hospital, and then you go home. So this system is set up not like that. You know, if you don't know, and there is a thing that's been for a while, that when you go in the hospital, if you say you indigent, because they do have indigent beds, you can't go in the hospital and say that you're poor. You can't go in the hospital and say that you have any money. You have to say, I'm indigent. And if you use that word indigent, then they have to help you. But you have to know that language. You have to know that's what you have to say. And so I'm just saying that 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 that, that a lot of the conversation, as I said, around the modification of the uh, Affordable Care Act is around, uh, you know, racism. I have a friend. She's in uh, North Carolina. We worked together on recycling over the years. But when the Affordable Care Act came out and they had people calling people and at being sure they have the you know right care, that's that. She said a lot of the Europeans that she talked with, who have tuberculosis or who have well not tuberculosis have diabetes, have other particular illnesses, don't want it. They don't have any medication. They don't have any kind of help at all. But they want to get rid of it primarily because Obama was the one who had pushed it through, you know, being the president. So why would they not want it? Why would they not want, you know, that kind of thing? So I don't know. I mean, I haven't done a survey. It could be African-Americans don't want it either. It could be Latinos that don't want it and on and on. But the, the impetus is, the, you know, the, the, uh, the dynamics of uh, African-American uh, excellence uh, being challenged by a racist, a racist society. Um, so I also, this is my last question, that white Democrats, um, polls to poll will have them say that racial discrimination is a barrier to black people in the criminal justice system, that, you know, discrimination exists in, you know, education, but yet they aren't willing to do, like, support wealth distribution so that and like fund schools like differently so it's not built on like property taxes which right. kinda, like is how like the inequality is started so why do you think that cognitive dissonance exists within white democrats and yeah like yeah this this this, this state is a good good example and i'm glad you chose to come here you know to visit and do your work because the state of Tennessee, as it relates to the Democrat Republican Party, the Democrats have never, for the moment, I won't say never, because I can't go all the way back, but from my, my moving in active activities in 83 up until today, have always uh, written off the state of Tennessee mm -hmm. and even the city of Knoxville in running for office. They, it always was written off. We had an incident where three years ago, maybe four years ago, an African-American woman uh, put her got got a, got a got a uh, uh, qualifying petition to run for the county mayor. Before she got the qualifying petition, no Democrat was going to run. There was no Democrats running for that position. Uh, there's been talk about the fact, and I, I think she's an active Democrat, that she went to the Democrat Party and asked, "Is anybody going to run?" You know that kind of thing, and I think nobody was going to run because they felt the Republicans were so powerful, you know, there's no use us running, that kind of thing. And I went in on a meeting, so I'm just, you know, kind of like uh, adding something that I, that I think happened. Mm -hmm. 
So she got the petition. She got qualified, and she started running as a, a candidate. Then this European-American woman, she goes and get a qualifying petition, and she runs. Well, why didn't she support the African-American woman who came and asked whether yeah. anybody was running? You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it, it's been, it, and, and I, I, you know, I don't want to be arrogant or bombastic or anything like that, but I credit the move that's happening now in the Democrat Party, at least locally here in Knoxville and maybe in the state of Tennessee, to what we're doing in CCM, the city council movement. Because mm -hmm. we don't have any fears as it relates to whether or not, you know, it's going to be, uh, we have enough people. We know we have to organize. Mm -hmm. We have to organize. We have to go to people and share with them we're different. And this is how we're different. And this is how we can offer. And then we give them examples of not only in our political life, but what we've done in our social life, in our religious life, and whatever it may be. You know, we've always been involved. We've always been doing things. So we're not new to doing, you know, things in the community. We're actually not new to electoral politics. The strategy is new in terms of the five people running, but this is something, you know, that can happen. So it has not been that way, you know. And then, uh, so so it, it, the 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 uh, the local that I just mentioned, the young lady ran, uh, and and then even I think she had to push, since they were talking about you know outstanding things black women have done over the last decade, they didn't even name the fact that she had a petition. And, ran, and was qualified, was qualifying herself to run as a Democrat. She had to, excuse me, remind some news people and ask them, uh, well, could you do some research and see if any other African-American women ever have taken out a qualifying petition to run for county mayor? And uh, that hadn't happened. So, uh, the, and, and one other example, when, when, um, uh, Gore, when Albert Gore was the vice president and ran against Bush, if, the, if I'm not incorrect, if the state of Tennessee had gone for their native son and voted for him, he would have been president, I think, because the amount of electoral votes at that time for the state of Tennessee would have put him over. I could be wrong. But he didn't win the state. you know. And, and the people who were working in his campaign, some of the people I knew personally because we had worked together on Jesse's campaign. Mm-hmm. But they didn't try to reach out to nobody. That I, well, they didn't reach out to me specifically. They could have reached out to other people, but I don't think they did. So I don't think, I don't know if they came into Tennessee thinking they couldn't win, but it's the thought in which you know it goes in everything pretty much. It's how you think thus as you go. And so if you think it can't happen, then pretty much it's not going to happen because you're not going to help it happen. So, yeah, that's what it is. And I don't know. All the, I don't know all the intricacies of that, whether it's racially, and to speak specifically to your, your question about when, when the rhetoric of a Democrat party or rhetoric of a Democrat platform is not, full, is not followed up with, with action. Yeah. You know, why is not action following up what people are saying? And that's primarily the part we talked about, about civics, Civics 101, because you as a citizen, regardless of whether a person actually was intentionally saying they're going to do it or not, I mean, intentionally to do it, your job then is to try to help them, first and foremost. I have a, a, one of the people of the city council movement always remind me to say this first because I, I, I talk about holding people's feet to the fire, you know, right off. He said, no, OG, let's do it this way. Let's say, which is true, you know, that as a citizen, 
I can help. Do you need somebody to uh, answer the telephone calls? If you're getting too many letters that you can't answer yourself, because as a city council person, just using city council example, that person probably has a responsibility for about 45,000 people. If, if a thousand of those people call you on a regular basis and you're the only person there, how are you going to answer that? How are you going to answer those letters, you know, and do the kind of work? And then this is a part-time job, being a city council person. So it's not a full-time job. So what we added to it, just to give a little bit more flavor of what the city council movement is all about, we have a cabinet for our city council people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a cabinet just like the mayor has a cabinet, like the governor has a cabinet, and like the president has a cabinet. And those people look at data and information and work it out so things can happen and answer the phone and the things like that. So that's the idea of the city council movement, to make to make the, the constituent service uh, uh, a paramount, to provide service to the constituents. And so I know I talked about a lot of different things, but just to answer your question about, again, about if somebody say they're going to put some money in schools and then no money is ever put in schools, it is the responsibility of the parents of those students, the grandparents of those students, the aunts and uncles of those students who vote for these people to go to their house, to go to wherever it is they have open form and demand that that happens. Do you often... So I agree with that, but sometimes, so yeah, like you're demanding at these forums, like, okay, this is what you need to do, we voted you for this, but don't you think sometimes it can make people comfortable, and maybe it's particularly like a place like Knoxville, where like maybe Democrats are not always willing to run, that this one person's going to be like, well, who else are you going to vote for? Like, that, like because it's not, like, you have, like, a ton of people who are going to, like, run against that person. So do you think then the next step is, okay, this person doesn't follow through for whatever reason. Right. And the community has tried to push them. Then do you think at that point, I guess the next step is, like, that community then needs to try to run someone else? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Either run somebody else and... and and, uh, either recall the person before the whole term is over. Mm-hmm. So you use the you use the various uh, tools that are available to you to make the people know. First of all, as we talked about, yeah. is to say you want to help them. You know, are you having problems getting the kind of uh, research and data that you need? I have a degree in history of blah blah blah, or I'm a history buff. I'll go do the research for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm trying to make this thing come to fruition that we that that you that we asked you for, and you said you would get get to us. And so it's still it's still that uh, it's like a you know a, a team. Mm-hmm. He's their team. And so uh, you know, but if the person, even if you provide them with this kind of assistance, and they show that they have really it was all hyperbole in the first place, it was just talk and rhetoric and meant nothing at all, then you get rid of them. You let them know that I put you in office and I take you out of office. But what made me what what you made me think of is what's going on kind of like in the air now is another party. There are people in different parts of the United States that are actually thinking about other parties. And I haven't actually done the research myself, but I think about it. So in in countries where there is quote unquote democracy and there are elections, what other country just has two parties? 
you know, I mean, do you? Because it seemed like, you, and I know that in in South Africa, it seemed like there was five, six parties. Yeah. In in in, in Ghana, there was you know seven, eight parties, uh, other places as well, and, and but the but the, the but the, the, anybody seriously talking about a third party is always frowned upon. It's always looked at it. It's like, no, we have the perfect model. We have Democrats, we have Republicans. And if you choose to be an independent, and then you can vote for either one. But an organized party, uh, you know, looking at what the Democrats and the Republicans both uh, have been like uh, almost gridlocked. You know, in the, in the national at the national level, but you know, it, it all it can be done locally because you know, I think it was a you know one of the congressmen named Tip O'Neill some years way back said, "All excuse me, all politics is local." So that's what you can do at a local level, at a city council level, at a county level. You can you can experiment with a new party at a yeah. local level, which is which can be a, a you know like a beta site or a test trial you know mm -hmm. or pilot to see how did this actually work so uh, I'm, I'm you know I'm, I, we hadn't talked about that but i do think that that is something that makes sense and that uh, people should consider yeah i think it's hard for people to imagine a third party on a national scale like more for president even like for senator for a lot of people right because it's the the two-party system is like there's a reason why like third party doesn't get a lot of votes right because you have to with the electoral map you have to like weigh that in and whatever so i agree like i think local and i think that's what people are trying to think about it's like running for city council running for you know district attorney running for those type of offices right to figure that out first um but yeah i do think like on a national it's really hard so unless ever the electoral college is ever abolished it's going to be well it was interesting and i give this a little bit of history again when i was a state coordinator for jesse uh only third at that time only 36 percent of the people in the united states were voting 64 mm -hmm. percent of the people were not even voting so you know you got 64 percent of the people that could be a party or yeah. either divide part of that into a party so it's i think once you give people the numbers and yeah. actually what's going on because people are say they run by a landslide well in the city of knoxville if you run by a landslide that's nothing because the city of knoxville up until here lately sometimes only uh nine percent of the people not even ten percent of the people voted so you got a landslide in nine percent of the people that means now what is that 80 i mean 91 percent of the people that did not yeah. vote so and and also that's what's happened with us while we were able to organize the city council movement we were in a in a meeting at the at a location at the, the bird house there were about 30 people in there whatever the number was and i had some documentation that i you know did some research on done some research on they talked about the guy who was the vice mayor at that time came out of south knoxville with 184 votes i think it was and when i said that there was like a gasp in the room and so i had copies so when some people think i made up i passed it around the copies came from the election commission when something i made up and by the time it got around to guess about the remember 20th guy he said oh man i got more cousins than this you know so it's something you can do yeah. so once you see the numbers and see what's going on it's not impossible yeah. 
you can do it. Just a matter of organizing and making it happen. Yeah, definitely. But do you think on, and this is definitely like now off the topic, but do you think that, um, especially like when you get to someone like in the house, right? Which is like not easy to be an independent or third party candidate in the house, but like easier probably than even the Senate. So, but don't you think on some level, like you said, being third party or whatever, is seen as like bad in our political system and yeah. that like even the media will be like you have no chance right and right. the media will convince right other people to never do that absolutely right? absolutely so do you also think yeah that that's also like a component that like how would you push back against that when you have people when they turn on their news at night and they're saying oh yeah this person has no chance right <laughs> right well what we're doing here locally is every opportunity that we have to show something that happened in, in a phenomenal way, mm -hmm. we express it, just like I talked about that tie. Yeah. Not only that, but City Councilwoman Amelia Parker is the first African American to ever have a seat, an at-large seat, for, you know, for the whole city, not, not just the district. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the historic and African American historians in the city here wrote an article in the paper and said that 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 the that the pursuit of getting an African American in an at large seat had been something that had been tried for 147 years. Mm -hmm. So for me to get that seat in 2019 is phenomenal. Yeah. In reality, so we don't let it pass. We don't just let it be like, you know, no, it's important, and people have to know it's important, mm -hmm. and we share it with people all the time. And we make people tie it to history and tie it to what's happening presently. And so why is it happening now? You know, why didn't it happen back then? And we look at the, the various kind of things, although some people don't dissect it like that and don't deal with it like that, but we do, you know, because that's organizing. That's what has to happen is that a person's mindset has to be changed from something that's untrue when they tell you you can't do it to looking at something that actually happened. Mm -hmm. You know, and see, and then also, Amelia, when the tie happened, the city council was the one who broke the tie. They had either you can flip a coin or the city council. It's not another election. It's not the citizens voting again on those two people. That's the two ways I just said is the way it happened. The city council in the city of Knoxville, all nine of them voted for the other person. Well, he lost in the primary, I mean, in the general election, you know, to the woman who actually won just tremendously. You know, she just, she, you know, beat him pretty handedly. So here's Amelia who is rejected, you know, by the city council based on them not even giving her one vote. She runs as a write-in candidate on that same election and gets 2,000 plus votes, which is tremendous because people had to stop and write her name incorrectly. Yeah. So all of this is happening. So just with one person, one of our candidates, Amelia Parker, she tied a race, she got rejected by the city council, she got 2,000 plus votes, she came back the next time, she won the primary, then she won the general election, she'd been on city council, and she's been talking about black activity, which really encompasses the human focus of it. Because when we raise up, you know, and you can't raise down, so when we raise, then, 
you know, other people raise. Mm -hmm. So she started talking immediately about the budget because the primary responsibility of a city council person is to scrutinize the budget. Mm -hmm. People don't know that. They don't know that. So they let the city council people look cute. Or they got on nice shoes. Or what about the bag she had? Or what about the suit, the tie? But it has nothing to do with nothing at all in reality. So to answer your question, in terms of locally, as far as being able to move forward with the political piece and the news media and how they handle things, you know, we just be sincere with what we're doing. We live it. We try our best to live it. You know, we've had incidences where things haven't gone, you know, quite as smooth as we'd like them to go. Mm -hmm. We've learned from that. Uh, we're preparing ourselves for 2021 in terms of making people aware of the fact that city council movement is looking for candidates who may want to run as city council movement candidates. You know, we, you know we're polling our own people and see whether or not other people in the city council movement want to run for office. So we're, we're looking at it. You know, we haven't made any kind of moves toward a party or anything like that, but we do understand, we understand it as a tool. And we understand it as being something powerful that can make a difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. That was my last question. Is there anything you would like to add? Anything about politics, colorblind racism, anything? Well, I'm glad you came to town. I'm glad to meet you. We just had a brief meeting, and uh, and you know what you're doing. Stay in there, hang in there. Uh, you know, interview people because I know you're gonna get various points of view and how people feel about it. Uh, don't ever think that whatever you're trying in your own life and your aspirations, that with God's help, you know, you can do it. So don't 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 matter about that. The whole the whole racism piece uh, is something that you know is a. It's been here a long time. It was in other societies and other other uh, civilizations, uh, you know, ageism, uh, 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 abuse of women. So we just have to keep praying, you know, keep fasting, keep asking our Creator, you know, for guidance and what we're doing, and uh, you know, just uh, be sure to to uh, have fun and and, and uh, you know, uh, stay connected. Yeah.